0: Good morning. Good to see you today. You know, sickness has been a part of life ever since the Garden of Eden, and Christian parents have been talking to their little children about that uh, off and on over the years, the centuries trying to explain to them about that. And This past week I ran across uh, something that Sarah Ames, who's a Christian author and mom, who she talked to her daughter about this and wrote a little bit, and uh, here's what she wrote. She says, my seven-year-old daughter, Jessica, <clears throat> is a deep thinker when it comes to theological questions. Recently, we discussed why bad things happen sometimes. Rereading the story of Adam and Eve and how sin came into the world, and later that week Jessica was ill, had to stay home from school, feeling miserable. She told me this, and this is the quote: "If only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, I wouldn't be sick." Before I could respond, she added course, if they didn't eat the fruit, we'd be sitting here naked. (laughs) Kids say some funny things. Hope you won't camp on that thought too much this morning. But uh, we're in a series entitled We Beheld His Glory, and we're talking today about power over sickness and how God has power the power to heal. The power to heal disease and sickness and all sorts of infirmities and Several years ago, Lori and I were uh, had the privilege of taking a trip to Israel. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. It's a wonderful place. hope you'll, uh, hope you'll go sometime. We hope to go again one of these days. But uh, We went to this one synagogue in particular. You see a lot of amazing places, but we saw this synagogue in uh, Capernaum, which was sort of the ministry hub of, of what Jesus did in the north. I mean, of course, Jerusalem was one place where he did a lot, but, but actually did as much or more to the north in Capernaum. And this synagogue, the foundation of it, was laid by a Roman soldier uh, in the era of Jesus. And his story is told in the Bible in Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Luke chapter 7. And uh, keep in mind as we read uh, this place, somebody actually made the comment this morning wondering if this is what my kitchen looks like right now. Uh, Because we had some water damage and and I do see some similarities. But... um, it's not totally open like that. So uh, Luke 7. Turn to Luke 7 and keep in mind uh, the centurion, the Roman soldier we're going to read about here, uh, laid the foundation of that synagogue, okay? <clears throat> Luke 7. You there? All right. This is what Scripture says. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he ter- uh, returned to Capernaum. And at that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer, or most translations say a Roman centurion, was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people. He even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over, uh, over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. One of my uh, favorite passages of Scripture, really, this one is, for a lot of reasons. I'm, I'm amazed when I read it and see that Jesus... Was amazed at the faith of this man. <clears throat> so, most of my life, I've reflected on this passage off and on, periodically, just thinking through. God, help me to have that kind of faith and and cultivate a kind of faith that would would uh, move you like this. Um, don't know that that's happening necessarily, but I'm praying and working at that and seeking that. There's so many, so many directions you could go with this passage. But this morning, what I want us to think about is this. Every one of us in this room needs to be reminded. We need to remember who it is that we worship. We need to remember who it is that we follow, who we pray to. We need to remember the one who died for us, the one who chose us, the one who loves us. And today's text gives us a glimpse into who that person is. We know his name is Jesus, but the fact is sometimes we get fuzzy and kind of forget his nature. What characterizes his personality, his character? And what we see in this text is that Jesus has power over sickness, but we learn a whole lot more about Jesus than simply that. And for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to want to reveal, I think there are at least four insights into Jesus that are revealed here in the passage. And so we're going to talk about those four insights, just highlight them a little bit, and hope that along the way that you can apply them to your lives. You can just do a little internal assessment. Is this how I think of him? And if not, maybe bring your thinking a little more into alignment with, with who he really is. And uh, we're going to answer a, a couple of key questions at the end, too, that, uh, that are really important related to the subject we're talking about. So uh, first insight that I want to draw your attention to is you just look at Luke 7 Is this. Uh, if we want to learn it, get an insight into Jesus, we see this. He's open to persuasion. He can be persuaded to do something that he's not now doing. And I think that's important for us to understand that. Look at verse three, and a little bit of verse four. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slaves. So they notice it just says they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. I mean, so, so he's got he's got his, his slave, his servant here, who's who's in horrible health, near the point of death, and so he sends someone to. Pr- once he hears of Jesus, he sends somebody to get Jesus' attention. And in this case, he sends Jewish elders. And we understand why he sent them in part. I mean, he's been involved in building a synagogue for them. He's been sympathetic to them. And, um, and that was a rare thing in the ancient days there. Rome was not terribly sympathetic with, with the Jews at the time. And so these Jewish elders, they plead with Jesus to help the centurion and his servant. And it's interesting, verse 6, Jesus goes with them. Here's what I want to ask you related to this. Some of us have needs in our lives, whether it's sickness or other challenges going on, maybe work challenges or whatever. Have you really paused to invite Jesus to intervene in your life? Have you ever considered inviting others to plead with Jesus on your behalf? you ever thought of that some of us have done that but some of us were just were so private or were so uh, timid that we just we just wouldn't think of doing that but but look at this guy and look at the results look at the difference that it made in his life in his servant's life you ever invited jesus to bring healing into the lives of people who are near you maybe their marriage maybe a health situation I just want to highlight a principle that Scripture shows in many other places as well. He's persuadable. You can change his mind on things. He may be doing this, but if we appeal to him, he's willing to engage in our life. Second insight into Jesus, it shows up really clearly here in the text, and this is, this is important, I think, is that Jesus' healing is not dependent upon our perfection. Did you hear what I said? Jesus engaging and bringing healing into our lives is not dependent upon your perfection or mine. In verse 2, what you see is a Roman officer. If you look at this, look at it. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer, Roman centurion, was sick and near death. Now, let's just pause right there. What does that verse tell us? This centurion may have helped build a synagogue, but he was a slave owner. You see that in the text? That's a big deal. And if you know your Bible, you know that God's not particularly fond of slavery. But I want you to notice in the text that Jesus healed the slave in a way and went on to affirm the centurion's faith. How could he do that? I mean, this guy's a slave owner. How could he do that? Brings us to the third insight into Jesus. Jesus responds to sincere humility. Humility and repentance are kind of linked in a lot of ways in his mind. Do you notice the centurion's assessment of himself as we read the text? Look at verse verse 6. Middle of the verse. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. I want you to think about this. He was being truthful in his self assessment here, he wasn't worthy. Jesus respected and responded to the kind of sincere humility that this man reflected. As a part of us that values justice, there's in all of us, I mean, this part of us that values justice, we look at what Jesus does and we have trouble with Jesus affirming a Roman centurion who has a slave. But the part of every one of us who needs mercy the part of every one of us who needs mercy should be thankful that Jesus did exactly what he did. Why is that, you say? Because if humility opened the door to mercy and a favorable response for this flawed centurion, the same will be true for you and me. There's a if Jesus didn't intervene in our lives because there's brokenness and screwed upness there, if He didn't intervene in anybody's life who was messed up, guess what? The world would be a miserable place. If He waited till we were perfect, there would be no interaction with God. He'd just wipe us off the planet. That's what He would do. He would not have gone to the cross. But it's interesting, Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in this case, we see, while we were yet sinners, he's healing. He's touching. He's intervening. He's helping. And what was good news for a Roman centurion is good news for you and for me. Jesus doesn't require perfection of us, but he does expect humility. After all, who among us is worthy? Really. It's important that we see another insight into Jesus, though. And that is, the fourth one is that Jesus honors faith. He honors faith. Wherever he finds it, Look at verse 7 through 9 of the passage again. It'll be on the screen if you don't still have it in your Bible. Verse 7, the centurion speaking through uh, somebody who comes to one of the Jewish elders, he says, I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed, he said. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to the crowd that was following him. He said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. I mean, The, the centurion clearly understood that Jesus had the power and authority to heal all sickness and disease, could intervene in his particular situation. We need to recognize that as well. And it's important that we get this because Jesus Himself tells us this over and over and over again. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. How much authority has He been given? Look at the verse. All authority. And look at the places. In heaven and on earth. There is nothing else. He's got it all. Part of what was awarded to him, granted unto him by virtue of his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, Scripture tells us, mediating on our behalf. Intervening. What, what does that even mean? It means he's open to demonstrating authority and power as it pertains to our lives. It's part of what that means. Hebrews 13:8 tells us something else is significant. Says Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. Just read that verse out loud with me, indulge me if you would. Hebrews 13:8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's the verse telling us? It's just saying that what he could do then, he can do now. That's what it means. Because he's, he's still Jesus. So if he could say the word then. What do you and I sometimes need him to do in our lives? Say the word. That's what we need. But we need to exercise humility and faith. And and part of how we do that is by asking. By asking. The centurion demonstrated his humility and faith by asking and sending, in this case, people on his behalf. We need to ask. We might even have to plead. Jesus is still looking for humility and faith from us. I'm reminded of a woman that Jesus healed who'd suffered for uh, 12 years with constant bleeding. You can read about it in Luke 8 if you haven't read it in a while. But you read the biblical text, she spent all she had on doctors but found no cure. And if you had that sort of experience, you just feel like I I feel like, at least feel like I've spent everything, you know, it's just like, you just the co-pays mount, the expenses the things insurance doesn't cover maybe you have no insurance, the costs just keep going. But in this woman's case in Luke 8, what we find is one touch of the hem of Jesus' garment brought her total and complete healing. So much so that it got Jesus' attention and everybody's attention around and she was a different person after that. You know, with humble faith, all of these stories like this that we find in the New Testament, are, are God is inviting us to seek Jesus' healing and guidance. God wants us to understand that he can say the word and a universe come into existence and a sickness or a disease evaporate. Which brings us to an important question, and the one that many of us wrestle with as much as anything is, well, what if I plead with God in humility and faith, and I'm not healed? I mean, after all, Jesus did not have to heal the centurion's a servant; didn't have to do that. He didn't have to heal the woman who'd been suffering with constant bleeding for 12 years. He didn't have to do that. We could walk our way through all of the healings. The man with the withered hand, Jesus didn't have to heal him. He didn't have to make a lame man say to him, get up and walk and heal him. He didn't have to do that. What if if I plead with God in humility and faith and I'm not healed by him or by medicine or whatever? How, how How do I respond to that? I have two recommendations that I want to highlight here as we wrap up this morning. First one is this If you or a loved one still have breath and a pulse, hear what I said? If you got a pulse, if you got breath, keep asking. Keep asking. Don't resign to some fate easily. I can assure you who would love for you to do that, and it's not God. It would be one who specializes in death and destruction and is gunning for each of us in this room. If you've got a pulse, keep asking. You know, Several of Jesus' healings, in fact, most of them really, were rec- recorded in the New Testament where people think about it right at death's door. It's a little troubling if you think about it. Because I mean, we end up wrestling with the compassion of God and these kind of things sometimes. Because why does He wait to just... Why did he wait till the last minute? Why didn't he intervene sooner? Well, you know, it's, it's not just about healing. Sometimes it's about faith and growing it and stretching us. Trusting that a God who would die for us is in fact that's legit that he really is good and he really does care for us and if he would do that that maybe maybe if I don't get healed I'm, he's still good and Maybe there's more going on in the world than I know. But I think it's significant that most of Jesus' miracles in the Bible were people right at death's door, or if we read on in Luke 7, literally Jesus interrupts a funeral. I mean, literally the guy's on the, on the, on the cart being taken to the, to the cemetery and Jesus sees the mother weeping in the crowd, if you read on in Luke 7, and he's, he, he begins to weep. And he says, stop. And he goes up to the young man and says, young man, I say, get up. Jesus can do that if he wants. All he's got to do is say the word. I mean, a lot of people have said that it's significant in Luke, in John 11, Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he have just said, come out of the grave, every, you know, it wouldn't have been just Lazarus. You see, all he has to do is say the word. So he's got to be specific with the application of his power and his speech in these kinds of instances. And so, if you've got a pulse, if you've got a breath, keep asking. But that's so exhausting, you say. And I know that, that's, that some of us, that's how we feel. It hurts to hope. It hurts to hit a wall and hope and hit another wall and keep hoping and another emotional wall and keep her uh, and so on. And, and all I can say is I know I know it hurts. I know it's unpleasant. Laurie and I have spent six months several years ago in neonatal intensive care, you know, with our first son, Joe, and he was dancing on the razor's edge of death for that whole six months. I know it's not fun. And I know what it's like to walk into a hospital room and have a doctor look you in the eye and say, uh, this is incompatible with life, and say it that blunt. And I also know what it's like to say, yes, I recognize that, and, and that sure looks like where it's heading, but we're going to pray that our God who can do anything He wants to do, all He's got to do is say the Word. And, and just to think in my spirit, And just tell myself over and over, as long as he has breath, I will pray for his healing. Some of us in this room, some of us in the sound of my voice, that's what your prayer needs to be. Not God help us to cope with death. God, would you intervene and say the word? And we've got to keep in the back of our mind that our pain doesn't mean God lacks compassion. It doesn't mean he lacks power. It just means we don't understand. We've got to stay humble, keep asking. In God's uh, grace and mercy, in our case with our son, God did heal him. And I don't use that word carelessly. I mean, he was very, very gracious in his intervention in Joe's life. We've had other instances over the course of our lives where he has as well. But I also recognize that God doesn't always do that. I think back to those days in one family, we got to know a little bit during that time. Joe had been healed. We came home and learned a little bit later. uh, Their child didn't make it. And if for some unknown reason, your or my humble prayers of faith go unanswered, here's the second recommendation. This is how we have to think. This is biblical thinking, what I'm talking to you about this morning. The second recommendation is that you and I need to remember that there's more to life than what we now see and know. You may have a bucket list, but your bucket list is lame compared to what's coming. We just don't think that way. We just think that everything that's all around us is all that all it takes, you know, is a uh, a refrigerator water line that is punctured and your kitchen wrecked, which we came home from from vacation to remind you that this isn't all there is, and that this stuff it can all it's all going into dumpster someday, you know. I got a dumpster in my driveway. Almost as big as this platform. I, I'm not joking. You come by, drive by, and you just go. That is a huge dumpster. I, I don't know anybody's got a dumpster this big except at a giant construction site. Uh, they were out of the small ones, apparently. But I, we got a giant dumpster, and I mean, we got our hardwood floors in there. We got sheetrock in there. We got carpet in there, and more, a lot more carpet going in there. On and on, it, it just goes. And it's stuff. It's passing away. It's not long-term reality. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture that defines how you and I have to think about life and death and this world and and the things that we cling to. Just just listen to this. It's great. You can read it on the screen, but I would encourage you just listen. Jot the verses down and and reflect on this. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 43 says, "...our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever." Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Straight out of Scripture. Verse 50 goes on and says, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed also. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And it's a quotation from the Old Testament: "Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For the sin, uh, the, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ." So, my dear brothers and sisters, it concludes. I always think it's interesting this passage concludes by saying, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Which is to say, thanks to Jesus, death is not the end. No matter what you encounter in this life, it's temporary. It's going to pass away. But the life that's really life is yet to come. And in a moment, in a blink of an eye, you are going to be raised to live forever. You will be transformed. You will not just be you. You will be you Glorified by the power and the shed blood of Jesus. This is our inheritance, friends. And all this is going to happen when that final heavenly trump sounds. It will be at that point that Jesus will say the word and he'll leave out the name Lazarus, and sickness and death will be finally permanently. Eternally swallowed up in victory. And I think God's saying to all of us this morning believe. Believe it. He's saying to us some of the things that are going on in our lives. He's saying, pray, pray, plead, plead. Be persistent. I think he's saying, remember that Jesus has overcome the grave, and so will you. Not because you're perfect, but because he is. He is. And your faith is in him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in prayer. Maybe as we pray this morning, some of you need to invite Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to cleanse you. You just need to invite him to fill you, to be yours. Maybe you need to do that. You've never done that. It's a good time for you to do that as we pray. Then I encourage you to let one of us know so we can pray with you, so we help you follow through on biblical teachings like baptism, because maybe, maybe some of you God's talking to you about that, and he's just saying, you know, you need to... I know you've been following me. You need to demonstrate your faith in practical terms. The scripture calls baptism. Where you go under the water and in doing so you're identifying with Jesus' death. And when you come up out of the water you're identifying with his resurrection. And according to Acts 2.38 and 39 there's the promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit that comes with that. But you need to do that. Maybe some of us this morning need somebody to pray for us. just need somebody to kind of come alongside of you with whatever's going on in your life and pray about something. Or maybe like the Roman centurion, someone you care about is sick. and You just want to appeal to God about it yourself or with some of us. I'd be honored to personally pray for you or just encourage you as you pray or whatever. But if there's something you need to pray about or talk to somebody about, hope you'll come down afterwards. We'd be happy to do that, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray and then we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that you care about every single one of us in the sound of my voice. You care about us more than we understand. Why else would you suffer on a cross? Why else would you endure the insults, the abuse, the death? But because you are God and because you are without sin, Lord Jesus, the grave could not hold you. And we praise you for that now. And we will for all eternity. Because your resurrection and your shed blood, if we'll put our faith in you, purchases our freedom, our hope, our healing, our deliverance, our transformation, our souls for all eternity are yours. And for that, we're grateful. We just ask that you'd fill us, that you'd cleanse us, that you would make us your own and... Fully redeem us, restore us to the kind of people you wanted us to be from the beginning in the garden. And then Adam and Eve, our forefathers, and we along the way have chosen sin. And we ask your forgiveness for that, but we ask for your healing, for your strength, your redemption. We thank you that, that your intervention in our lives is not dependent upon our perfection, our wholeness. But in fact... Your sacrifice purchases our redemption, our wholeness, despite our many shortcomings. We're so grateful, Our Jesus. You know we've various ones. We've issues going on in our lives. Some of us got health issues, some really significant ones that are very advanced. And the servant of the centurion could be near death's door and be healed because you speak the word. And I'm asking that you'd speak the word. Some of us really need to hear a word from you. There's nothing that you can't do if you speak the word because all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to you, Lord Jesus. So we ask for it. A little of that authority, a little of that power because of your great mercy and grace to be applied to our lives, our needs. So you know each need present would you bring healing would you bring restoration to marriages to health to families to work situations to dreams and visions for for life would you restore us god and god we just want to ask that you would also intervene in the lives of some of our dear friends and loved ones that are exhausting their resources in the pursuit of cures from doctors which we all recognize you. You empower all of that. You are the great physician. Nobody understands the whole concept of medicine better than you and certainly you've established it as something in our culture and our lives for good. You raised all of that up through your people throughout the centuries. And so we're grateful for that. We thank you for that. We recognize, God, that plenty of instances where that's not working. We just ask for healing, for help. And, Father, if there are some of us who are grieving the fact that there was a time in our lives where you didn't intervene. You could have, and we know that, but you didn't. Maybe some of us have been a little mad at you about that angry how could you do that why would you do that God help us to remember your perspective on the whole of life and death and that this isn't the end this isn't all there is and what is to come that some of our loved ones and some of our friends are already experiencing um, (laughs) they are already experiencing And there'll be a day come when we'll be transformed and they'll be transformed. And all will be made new. Help us to cling to our faith in that. Just as your word teaches us to. And now would you help us, God, to be strong and immovable and remember that there's nothing... Nothing that we do for you that will ever be useless because you're at work and because you're resurrected. As you go with us now, help us to reflect on these things. Help us to put them into practice. May we be men and women whose faith wows you in the days ahead. And may our compassion wow you as well. This is our prayer. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. And everybody agree with me and say, amen. Bless y'all. Have a good day.